Father, we're here to praise you this morning. You are worthy. You are holy, God. You are true light that dispels all darkness, Father. We're so happy that you have shed light into our hearts so that we could have fellowship with you and joy, God. And so, Lord, thank you for making yourself known to us. I pray that you would make yourself known even today as we talk about your word. May your spirit speak to us, and we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Well, welcome. Welcome to those of you that are here this morning and those that are watching online. Uh, we're continuing in our series on First John, living in the light and love of the gospel. And so I'd encourage you this morning to grab your Bible if you have one or your phone, whatever you like on your phone, to look up the Bible and turn to 1 John 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verses 2. This is what we're going to look at and what our kids read for us this morning. Thank you, guys. We're so happy to have kids in our service here at Risen Life. Just want them to worship with us and learn what it means to follow Jesus together. And so kids are always um, welcome here. Now, last week... We looked at 1 John 1, 1 through 4, this great introduction where John reminds us that Jesus is the word of life that came from the heavens and he was made known to our senses in very real ways. John saw him, he heard him, he touched him. He's a real thing and he came so that we could have fellowship with God, with him and the Father. And then as we did that, we would find true joy, right? This is what the gospel is about. Finding joy in fellowship with God. And this week, John is going to talk to us and teach us about the gospel as we think about light. Right? And we all like light. Last couple days have been pretty sunny. Today's supposed to be pretty awesome. Right? Light brings joy to our heart. Even have these nice light beams that our, our team put up here to, that we have to show the light that is coming from the gospel in Christ. And light is a metaphor for God's character. Um, we're going to work at that a bit. But it's played a prominent role throughout the Bible. If, you know, if you've read your Bible, different parts, light is all over the Bible, right, in many different ways. In fact, Genesis 1, 1 through 3, right at the beginning, God says, let there be light. <laughs> and his light comes into the world and begins to order the chaos of the early creation, right? That is, his light and truth comes in, order and love comes with it. And John, the Apostle John, who's wrote 1 John, he's talked about light quite a bit. In fact, in his gospel, he, one of the first verses, he says that Jesus has come to be the life and the light of men. And as we live in his light, we find life. 1 John 1.5, as we're going to see this morning, God is light. And even in Revelation, when he writes that book, what does Jesus come and appear to him in? <laughs> Great light, right? In fact, verses 12 through 16, in verse 16 he says, When Jesus showed up, his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. This is the light of God that is coming into the world. And what John is going to show us today, that in the gospel we have the true source of light that should shape our thinking and the ways that we live. And this is what he's going to show us. The living in the light of the gospel should bring about real-life transformation in our lives. That we should be different as God shines his truth into our heart. So let's look at our passage this morning. 
We heard it read, and now we're going to work through it verse by verse uh, as we consider what John has said about light. So here's the first thing he wants to show us. This is the starting point of the gospel that God is light. This is 1 John 1.5. Listen to what it says. This is the message that we have heard from him, that's Jesus, and now proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. This is John's thesis statement, really, for the next two chapters. God is light, and there is no darkness in him. This is what Jesus came to teach us, first and foremost, that there is a God, and he is light. Okay? What does that mean? He's making a claim about the nature of God. We see this theme throughout the Bible, as we've said, but it represents several ideas. In the Bible, we see that light is truth, often, where darkness is error. Okay? We often see that light is purity, where darkness is evil. Okay? So light is God's holiness. In general, in the Bible, we see that light is good and darkness is bad. So he's using this term to teach us about the very nature of God, that he is all light and no darkness. This is the basic Christian principle that he's giving to us, that God is only truth, he is only holiness, he is only goodness. This is his nature. There's nothing else in him. James 1.17 calls God the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is only goodness. He is only truth. Psalm 104 verses 1 and 2 says, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as if it's a garment. And the point here that he's making is that the beginning of the gospel message that Jesus preached to us is that there is a good God in heaven out there who wants to be known to you. That's the message. There is a good God, a completely good God that only does good, that does no evil, and He wants to know you. This is where the gospel starts. And we've got to set that in our minds and hearts, this very definition of God, that He is only good. You know, lots of people throughout history have tried to make God bad, have characterized him as an evil ogre that's out for his own things and does mean things as he pleases. Even people talk about the Old Testament that that seems to be a really bad God compared to Jesus. But I'd say they just haven't understood the story, right? You often want to make God bad so that you can justify the things you want to do, But the gospel starts with saying that we have a God who is the very fountain of good. And if we want to experience his goodness, we have to walk in his light. That's what John is saying to us this morning. I also want to point this out to you. You know, we we talk about these things a lot. That there, there, uh, 1 John 1, 5, where he says God is light. This is really one of three kind of summary ways that John speaks about God. So he also says um, in his gospel of John 4, 24, he says, God is spirit. Okay, And then in 1 John 4, 8, he says the one that we like to say a lot, God is love. So which is it? 
Is he light, spirit, or love? Yes, all of them. Thank you, Oliver. That's the right answer. He's all of them. And we could add to these. We could say that he is, he is grace, God is mercy, God is holy, God is just, God is righteous. He's all of them. He's the definition of these things. We often think that they're just part of him, right? We think, oh, well, God does love. No, he is love. <laughs> we think he gives grace. No, he is grace. <laughs> and so you have to see that these are a total picture that we, we learn from the Bible, each one of these things giving us the superlatives, attributes of who God is. And you are not God unless you are the fountain of all these things. This is important for us to see. So let's not make one attribute too great over the other. He is all of those things. His light also speaks to us about the nature of his revelation, how he makes himself known. So think about light for a second. Light is always emanating from its source, like the sun, right? We don't know how long the sun's going to last, but it's going to be way longer than us, and it was way before us. And light is always and perpetually coming from the sun. And this is what it's saying about God. When God is light, it is His nature to make Himself known. It's always emanating from Him, His love, His grace, His mercy, everything about Him coming from Him. It's part of His very nature to make Himself known. In fact, we've experienced this, right? If you're a Christian, then you have experienced what it's like to have God's light shine into your life, to have Him revealed to you. Isaiah 9-2, you know, when it's talking about, it's prophesying about this coming um, Emmanuel, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. <laughs> this is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16 speaks about the nature of God's revelation as He shines light into our heart through His Spirit, that without this light, we can't even know Him. It says He shines spiritual light into us so that we can know Him. And it's really, it's a crazy experience that first time God shines His light in your heart. Those of you that know Jesus, you know this is true. Right? We're fumbling around in darkness, and then suddenly the light comes on. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been in a cave when they've turned out the lights. You know, I, I've been to a few caves, Mammoth Cave or Timpanogos Cave down here in Provo. And there used to be one in Tennessee called Cumberland Caverns that we would go to. And sometimes you, oh, you've been there. Yes. So sometimes you get in those caves, and you get down in the, the darkest, deepest room, and they're like, all right, we're going to turn off the lights. Right? And you don't know blackness until you've been in a cave and they turn off the lights. Right? And if you had to get out of that cave in that blackness, you'd never make it. <laughs> you'd be fumbling around and groping. But what happens when they turn on the light? Man, it all makes sense. You can see. And this is what it's like when God shines his light into our hearts. The Bible constantly talks about how we're groping and fumbling around in this world and in our life, trying to find what's true, and then suddenly, God shines His light into our heart, and He makes it all clear. 
And remember, John here is writing 1 John to correct bad teaching that had crept into the church that was causing believers to be confused and have anxiety and doubt even their salvation. And particularly, there was a group of people that were trying to promote the idea that there was a secret spiritual knowledge about God that would lead to enlightenment, that it started with God, that God, that He would radiate. Uh, There was a special knowledge to be known. These guys were called the Gnostic guys, and they were drawing a distinction between spirituality um, and life, and that you needed special knowledge. And yet John's saying there's only one knowledge you need, and that's light that comes from God. There's only one source of it. There's no special knowledge. As God radiates his light to us, it came in the very tangible person of Christ, right? This is God's light to us so that we have something solid to hold on to and point to that shows us the way. And so if you're here this morning and you're searching for truth, what is real, what is good, something to hang on to, John's saying, it's God. He's the light. There's no other light. He's the source of all truth and holiness and goodness, and you need to draw near to Him. So that's John's big thesis statement that he's giving us. God is light. Okay, this is where the gospel starts. Now, as he moves into this, these couple of verses, he's going to list for us three errors we can make in our thinking about who we are in relationship to God, but also three gospel solutions that meet those things. So let's look at 1 John 6 through 2, 2. So here's the first error that John points out to us, and this is it, that we could believe we know God and have no real life change, okay? So look at 1 John 6. So in verse 5, he says, God is light, and then verse 6 says this, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, I like John because he's really clear, right? Like, I almost don't even need to explain that. You guys get it. John is telling us here that those on whom God's light has shown live according to that truth and light. (laughs) It's as simple as that. He's saying you're lying to yourself if you think you know God and you don't live in His light. Really, John's given us a quick and clear litmus test of our Christianity. Right? These guys want to be sure that they're Christians, and so he's saying, well, here's the quick, quick test. Do you live in the light of God, or do you live in darkness? That's it. It's as simple as that. In other words, do you do the things that accord with godliness, the light that's being revealed to you, or do you do things that are against godliness? It's a simple test. Am I in or out? And really, he's appealing to our innate moral compass. John, John's doing here, as many biblical writers do, appealing to God's moral law that is written on our hearts. You know, Paul talks about this in Romans 1, 18 and 20, that, listen, the basics about God and what He demands, he says they're clearly perceived by all men and what He's made so that we are without any excuse for turning our backs on God. And when we do so, we're actively suppressing the truth, the light that is emanating from God, We're suppressing it. Basically, John here is calling their bluff. (laughs) He's saying, drop your philosophical arguments, your posturing, your justifications for what you're doing. Are you in the light or are you in the dark? 
That's as easy as it gets. And by the way, you know if you're in the light or the dark. The Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and shows you God has made it obvious to our heart. And so what does it look like to claim we know God and walk in darkness? Here are a couple things. You know, in, John day, in John's day, there was these false teachers, we said, that believed in this dualism between what is spiritual and physical. It's called Gnosticism, that the physical world was bad, but the spiritual world was good. And so you could be spiritually enlightened and be with God, but it didn't really matter what you did in your life because that was bad anyway. He's saying, that's not it, guys. You've missed it. Later in the church, Paul talks about another way that this can come about. It's called antinomianism. It's a big word for a very simple concept. But it's the fact that I believe I'm saved by grace, which that is true. We're saved by grace and not by what we do. And that if I'm saved by grace, it doesn't matter what I do then because God will cover it. That part's not true. Paul gets at that, and many of, many of us have had that attitude at times in our lives. Paul gets at this in Romans 6, 4, 1 and 4, where he asks a rhetorical question. Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? <laughs> he says, by no means. He can who died to, who can, who died to sin still live in it. Rather, Christ saved us so that we might walk in newness of life. So he's saying, look... You can't know God and not have a changed life. There should be some evidence of real-life transformation. I think today this shows up in some of our postmodern thinking that we're all very acquainted with, that really I can believe what I want, but my actions don't have to even mimic or align with what I believe. So we do this. Often, we, we, there's lots of spirituality in our world. We like God. He's pretty popular these days, and so we grab the things we like about God, God's love, right, or whatever it might be, and we like to live in those because they make us feel good and have hope, but we don't necessarily let those translate over to how we live, and so we don't take all of who God is. I was talking with Mike Kirby, one of our elders here, uh, as he was doing some evangelism on the Salt Lake Community College campus with um, InterVarsity. He said it was the most fascinating thing that I would go and talk to students and I would present the gospel and they weren't antagonistic. They were like, man, that's really great. I'm so glad that works for you. Right? This is our postmodern thinking. Like, oh, that's a great thought, but it shouldn't have any effect on my life. I get to do whatever I want. This is what John is getting at. He's saying, this is not the gospel. That if God shines light into your heart, it should affect everything else about who you are. So what's the solution if you think you know God, but you're walking in darkness? Here's the solution. Look at verse 1-7, the first solution. John says, walk in the light. Verse John 1-7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light... Then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, stop walking in the darkness. <laughs> That's the solution. Begin to live your life in the light of the truth that God has revealed in Jesus, his son, and his word. You know, God's word is our greatest source of light about how God wants us to live. Psalm 119, says, and I love this verse, Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 
a light unto my path. You want to work in God's light? Read the Word, right? Do what God asks us to do in His Word. You know, I like light. It reminds me of one of my favorite toys in the 80s. And yes, I was a kid in the 80s. It's called the Light Bride. Anybody have that? Right? This had a, oh, thank you, Alex. This had a little resurgence a couple of years ago. And uh, it was a great 80s toy, right? Where you had this really hot incandescent bulb, and we thought it was a good idea to put a piece of paper right in front of it. And I think it got up to like one or two degrees before it would just burst into flames. You could partner that with your little incandescent oven that baked cookies, and um, right, you could set everything on fire. But the great thing about the light bright was you put this piece of paper on there, and it blocked out all the light. And then you began to put those little pegs in there of different colors on the pattern. You put the first one in, and you're like, man, that is really cool. Like, look at that light. Then you put more and more in there, and eventually you have this really great picture, and that's what God is calling us to do as we live in his light, right? We don't got to know all of it, but as he sheds light in our heart, we begin to live in it. And as you take each little piece, God is forming something in you as you live in his light. And I think it also teaches us something about doing it wrong. Did you ever try to jazz style a light bright paper? Like, I'm just going to do my own little, little symbol here. It never went well, right? You always ended up with a paper with a bunch of holes in it, and it looked terrible, right? That's what happens when we try to make our own light. And John is saying, let's live in the light of the gospel. So basic Christian principle that Christians walk in the ways of God as he reveals them to us. In fact, next week, Pastor Jim's going to preach to us from 1 John 1, 2, and he's going to be very specific about what living in the light means. He's going to say it's following the commands of God, and it's loving each other in Christ. And so we'll look forward to that. Okay, here's the second error that John gets at. And it's this, to believe that we are fundamentally good people. Okay, 1 John 1.8, look what he says here. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, clear again. If we know God... His pure, blinding holiness should teach us something about ourselves, and that is, we are not holy. (laughs) There is something wrong with us, right? When you see pure light and you compare it against your life, it should show you there's a problem, that we are full of sin and all that we think and do and are contrary to who He is. And listen, this is the common experience of God's people as they interact with Him. I can think of... Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, where Isaiah has this vision of God on his throne and all his splendor and all his light. And what does he say in verse 5 as he calls out, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I've seen the light, and I'm not the light. In fact, I'm far from it. I'm pretty dirty. Here, John makes the error of our thinking perfectly plain that we sometimes think we're actually good people, but he's saying, no, you have sin in your life and you've missed the gospel if you think you're not sinful. So God's nature as light reveals our nature as sinful. 
This is part of the gospel. Coming to Jesus means that we acknowledge that God is good and we are sinful before him. That's what we do as we come to him. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul in Romans 3.10-12 quotes Psalm 14 where he says, Look, none is righteous, no, not a one. No one understands. No one seeks after God on their own. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is what the light should show us about ourselves. Basic Christian principle that we have a sin nature and we are sinful. And what does this error look like today? Well, I think it looks like when we believe in the cultural lie that says we are innately good, that we play into this mistake. That if you give people enough time, they'll actually do the right thing. You hear this? You know, I was in uh, Finland last year doing some things with the seminary there. And it was fascinating to me because there's very low crime in Finland. In fact, it's, it's surprising to them when things happen. And they have these grocery stores like a 7-Eleven with no attendant and just a checkout stand. That made me laugh. I was like, that would last about one second in, our, in the United States, right? The store would be empty and no one would have paid. In fact, so much so we were on a train uh, one of my friends got his bag stolen by somebody that stole his bag on the train. And the train attendants were distraught because they could not believe that that happened. They're like, this is Finland. People don't do that. Oh, no. They're sinful, right? And they're sinful even here. And so John is showing us that we are sinful to the core of our souls. And this is part of our admission in the gospel in the light of Christ. And much of our self-help culture is built on this ideal that you are actually good. And if you'll just dig deep enough and draw it out, you can live up to your potential. But the problem is the deeper I dig, the more sin- sinful nature I find. <laughs> if you've been a Christian for more than 10 seconds, you know that is true. So coming to Christ means admitting that we have a fundamental sin problem in our makeup and God's light shows us that we are deeply flawed and sinful in our very nature before a holy God. And the more we dig, we only find more rottenness. You know, I one time remodeled a house over in Sugar House, and there was a little bit of kind of dampness and mold in one of the bathrooms. As I began to pull back the layers, I found rotted studs and then rotted floorboards and then rotted joists, right? And the deeper I dug, I just found more and more rottenness. And as God's light shines into our heart, it begins to show us more and more, not only are you sinful, but your heart is rotten all the way to the bottom. Right? This is what God shows us. But here's the the good news, right? Here's the second gospel solution. Look what it says here. It says, confess your sins to God and be made clean. Okay, here's the solution. 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's amazing, right? You need to take this verse, you need to underline it in your Bible, you need to highlight it, write it on a note, stick it on your mirror, on your steering wheel, everywhere in your life, because this is a core gospel promise that though you are sinful, 
If you confess your sins to God, he wipes them clean. Hallelujah. Right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just as John is pointing out these errors very clearly, he points out the solutions just as clear and they are just as sure. Here's God's gospel solution John is telling us. That when you see your sin, it should be your job to acknowledge that sin to God and say, God, I agree with you. This is what it means to walk as a Christian. And he will cleanse you, wipe them all clean, 100% sure to do it, finished. Basic Christian principle that we have a good God that forgives our sin. You know, I've used this verse a lot when I'm counseling people. In fact, I was counseling a guy about a year ago that was... He, he, he was just trying to live perfectly. He, he was doing everything he could, and he just kept failing, and it was leading to anxiety and problems. I said, wait a second, wait a second. You need to hear this verse, right? God says if you'll just confess your sins, they're gone. He's happy with you. And as I read that verse, he just fell to tears, right, as he grasped the depth of what God was saying to us. And many of us continue, we feel the weight of our sin, we even feel dirty after we sin, right? And God says, look, just confess it to me. I can wipe it away. Don't let Satan steal this promise from you. He likes to accuse us all the time. But God says when you confess it, it's done. Sometimes we have to walk out the consequences of our sin, but we can do that in a right relationship with God because He's forgiven us. God is happy with you when you confess your sins. And Christians agree with God that they are sinful by nature, but they confess their sin and God wipes it away. Okay, let's look at our third error here. This is the third error that John's going to point out to us. To believe that we don't keep on sinning. So to believe that we don't have ongoing sin, 1 John 1.10, look at what it says. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Listen, this is the tension of the Christian life, that we're saved and we're cleansed from our sin, we confess our sin, and yet what do we do? We continue to wrestle with sin. <laughs> ah, this is so frustrating. I just want to be clean and perfect all the time, right? But we aren't. In fact, I was lamenting to Shelley. I've been working through my Lent devotional here. You know, and every day there's a section where you confess sin and you confess sin and you confess sin. And you're like, how much sin do I have to confess? A lot and daily because I keep sinning, right? And John's saying, even once you become a Christian, you're not perfect. You will continue to sin. In fact, this is what Paul gets at in Romans 7, 13 through 25, verse 15 here. It says, you know, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to, but I keep doing the very thing I hate. In verse 19, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer is Jesus. He's the guy that can deliver us. You know, many have said that Christian life can be summed up in the word repentance, right? 
that all of our life is a practice of sinning and an ongoing practice of repenting before God. And as God shines more and more light into our hearts and our minds, we see more and more of the depth of our sin, and the Christian agrees more and more with God and sends it back to Him in confession and repentance, and God cleans us every time again and again and again. Christian walks with him on the journey and repents as God shines light to our hearts as we look forward to the day, and this is a good day, when God will take care of our sin nature. See, this has always been the Christian hope that we, we are saved, God wiped away our sin, we are being saved, we're in this process of repentance and sanctification, and yet there's coming a day when we're in heaven and God renews our body and our soul and our sin nature will be gone. <laughs> That's going to be quite a day. That's something to look forward to. That's what God is doing with us. And so John gives us this final gospel solution to our ongoing sin, and it's this. Live your life in the grace of Christ. Live it in the grace of Christ. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. Look at what he says to close out this section. My little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John's saying, look, you're going to keep sinning, but the good news of the gospel is that God made a way for you, right? That you have an advocate, Christ, who stands with the Father pleading your case based on the work that He did on the cross. He's saying, God, Father, I died on the cross to pay the the penalty of their sins so they don't have to. And as they confess to me, you know that they are justified before you. That's what Jesus does for us day after day after day. He is our advocate so that we can live in His grace, this is the grace of God towards us that He came to pay the price for our sins. Past, present, and future put on the cross. And as you confess it day after day, you get to participate in the grace of God towards you. And God is completely happy with you. This is the good news of the gospel. You have someone on your side that wants you back in relationship with God, and that's Christ. And He's there working on your behalf. And band, you can come on up. As light keeps emanating from God, there is a fountain of grace that continues to flow from us. And it's our job just to live in it. Accept it. Participate in it. Let it change your heart. Let it bring joy to your soul as you get to fellowship with God. And John reminds us here at the end that this grace is not only for me and you, It's for everybody. (laughs) That God or Christ died on the cross for the sins of everyone. The whole world. No one is excluded from this good gift. That anyone who would make Him Lord can experience His grace and forgiveness. Right? Romans 10.9. It says, If you confess of your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. And this is for anyone that would take it. Now this morning as we come to a close, before we sing, I want us to spend a little time of God this morning. 
John's talked about a lot about we may be living in darkness when we, when we follow God, right? Or we may have ongoing sin in our life that needs to be confessed. And so we're going to take a few minutes before God this morning just to sit with Him. Maybe for the first time this morning, you need to make Jesus your Lord. If that's you this morning, then I would encourage you as we sit here quietly that you would pray to God and say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? I see now, based on who you are, where I fall short of who you are. Would you forgive me for the ways that I've rebelled against you? And would you come and be the Lord of my life? And for the rest of us that have known him, there's always something we can confess and repent of, right? Let's give it to him this morning. What's God saying in your heart by his spirit? You need to give that to me. You need to confess that to me so that I can cleanse it. I want to run in and cleanse your heart, show you grace and love so that we can be in right relationship together and find joy. In the next few moments as Sean prays, I'd encourage you to confess to God. What do you need to talk to him about this morning? And then when you've done business with him, I want you to stand up, right? Let me read this as we begin to meditate. This is a prayer I ran across this week by an old Scottish minister from the late 1800s. And I think it sums up what we've been talking about this morning. So as you hear this prayer, let it lead you into what God wants to say to you this morning. It says, O Lord, as long as I am apart from you, I am self-satisfied because I have no standard by which to measure my low stature. But when I come near to you, there for the first time I see myself in your light. I behold my darkness. In your purity, I see my corruption. My very confession of sin is the fruit of your holiness. Oh, Divine man, let me gaze on you more and more until in the vision of your brightness I loathe the sight of my impurity. Until in the blaze of that glory which human eye has not seen, I fall prostrate, blinded, broken, to rise again a new man in you.